0: and welcome to the Neumon Be Praised. Um, in madness lies, because for one week and one week only, I am going solo. So it's just Joe. Um, Jack is off uh, taking care of thespian activities. Uh, yes, he's an actor of the amateur dramatics, although there is nothing amateur about his dramatics. Um, so for one week only, I have decided to do a commentary instead. And uh, the story I have chosen, I did say madness this way lies, is the twin dilemma. <laughs> Everybody's favourite. Um, so sit back and if you want to press play and watch along with me, just imagine you are kicking back and watching with a mate. And uh, that mate is talking uh, irritatingly at you throughout the experience. So I am going to press play in five seconds. Four, three, two, one, go. Here we go. Into that incredibly 80s title sequence. It's very colourful, isn't it? But then, I suppose everything about Colin Baker was very colourful. Including his introduction, which we're about to see. It's a great theme tune, though, isn't it? It's like, you can see why they use this theme tune as part of the uh, DVD range. Anthony Stephen, whatever happened to him? I'm sure he did well. I mean... Oh, gosh. So... We have an overlit set, some cheap looking props, and two actors that look a little bit awkward on screen. Interesting start. I sometimes wonder if this story suffers because it comes directly after the case of Andrasani, And I sometimes wonder if this story suffers because Peter Moffat is the director. And I sometimes think this story suffers because of these insufferable children. Although I should probably say, I don't entirely hate The Twin Dilemma. I think there is something of worth here. Most of the performances. Oh, want now, God bless these boys and their speech impediments. That is uh, an unfortunate <laughs> affliction. But to give them names like Womulus and Wemus. That's Dennis Chinnery has the um, interesting position of being both in Genesis of the Daleks and the Twin Dilemma. So he's at both ends of the scale as far as Doctor Who's concerned.
1: We're going to play
0: equations. There's a good story there, though. There's a good story in the idea of mathematics uh, being used as a weapon. Um, Do you know what I really like about this set? Is that they've bothered to have a window at the back with, like, trees and a purple kind of light coming in. That's a little bit of depth. Colin looks so much more comfortable in Peter Davison's clothes than his own. I genuinely believe that Colin Baker and Nick LeBron have fantastic chemistry. The problem here is obviously how their relationship is written, which does tend to improve as the story goes on and as the era goes on. But this is what happens when you have a script editor and a producer that do not get on. You A lot of tension. And that tension, unfortunately, is channelled through these characters. You could almost say that um, the Doctor is John Nathan-Turner and Perry is Eric Sayward. What on earth are you complaining about it? <laughs> I love his vanity. Oh, I was never happy with that one. He had a sort of feckless charm... This simply wasn't me. See, Nicola Bryant's really playing this like an actual, like a proper drama. I mean, last week she was in case of Androzani, which was a proper drama. This is a bit of a pantomime, but um, she gives a very consistent performance across the two stories. I've heard some people say this moment with Colin Baker is the worst moment in the entirety of Doctor Who. The grinding of the universe. Crashing boredom of eternity. It's a good line, but the guy is clearly completely bonkers. Oh, apologies, that's my cat on the scratching post. Nibbles! There's dreadful music here as well. It's Malcolm Clarke who did the music for, like, the Sea Devils way back when. I don't know if you remember the music from that story, but it was um, experimental, to say the least. I mean, should we, with a post-regeneration story, should we be spending so much time inside the TARDIS? I don't know. Oh, look how good he looks in that jacket. Why? Why couldn't he have had that jacket? Yep, you can flex in front of that mirror all you want. You're just going to get tubbier as the story goes along. The coat, yes. What can we say about the coat? I rather like it. Um, I or oh, maybe I I got used to it over time. These poor boys. They look like they haven't got a clue what they're doing. <clears throat> and here we have Morris Denham coming along and providing some much-needed gravitas to this pantomime. Oh, look at those graphics. Bless them. A symphony in higher mathematics. See, there is some intelligence here. Oh The camera just moved. Good grief. Peter Moffat knows how to move a camera. Apparently Denham took the boys under his wing and um, looked after them whilst they were shooting this. But unfortunately you can't pump years of acting wisdom into two newbies. And it shows. I mean you really do have two ends of the spectrum here. An experienced, you know, decent, skillful actor. And two boys that have been dragged in off the street who aren't entirely sure why they're there. I think it was supposed to be two girls originally, um, and without getting into a libel case, I don't think um, John Nathan-Turner wanted two young girls in the studio. He wanted two young boys. I am Romulus, I am Wemus. We do not know. Good. Excellent. <laughs> it's quite the least dramatic uh, kidnapping you're ever gonna see on television. Oh wow! I mean an actor has to work with a costume, right? And how can you work with a costume like that? Like what's that supposed to say about your personality? That you have no taste whatsoever, that <laughs> you don't care what people think what you look like? Did you like cats? Remember him? See look at this, you've got all this tension in the script, and yet Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant are both trying to find real moments of charm and humour. God bless them for trying. Oh, that's a nice model shot. Right, his time is up, contact Oh the campness continues as Noma, the pot-bellied birdman, turns up. I mean, there's quite a lot, there are quite a lot of sets in this story. So they've they've kind of got some money, unless they're just redressing the sets each time. And those bird people look quite nice. But none of it's kind of directed particularly dramatically or atmospherically. Maybe if they turn the lights down a little bit. And I know that's a complaint that's made about the 80s quite a lot. This is exactly how Mestor should have been throughout. <laughs> Just a, an overlay and a voice. And he could have been properly scary. Why did they show us the costume? It's a good voice. Edwin Richfield as well. He was in the Sea Devils too. Maybe this is like a Sea Devils reunion. Oh God, here we go, the scene, the ultimate scene that uh, poisons everybody against this story. I mean, as exemplified with Peter Capaldi, perhaps having a Doctor and a companion who don't trust each other and have this much tension between them is not the best of starts. <laughs> and having a doctor attack his companion and try and kill her... I don't think Colin Baker had a chance. One more. A Perry at the gate of Eden stood... This He's genuinely scary, though. Look at him, grinning at her. I can imagine the kids at home going, "Um, What's going on? Why is the doctor attacking Perry? (laughs) I'm not watching this anymore. was sat there and went, Oh, we're gonna make the doctor the villain of the piece. Oh dear, it's not a very well interactive scene, though, is it? Let's be honest. But the implication there is that he throws a woman to the floor, gets on top of her, and strangles her. voice said as well with the twin done that the first episode is the issue uh the first episode is ponderous it's it lacks any atmosphere whatsoever it does some poisonous things to the doctor's character as the story continues we edge back towards what we recognize doctor who to be albeit with this spiky new doctor oh it's fabian oh isn't she marvelous May my bones rot for obeying it. Interesting police headquarters there, more like a sort of lounge bar. And they've got some nice wood panelling. This is something I've always feared. What's the time factor? Look <laughs> at those huge sheriff's badges they've got on their nurses' tunics. Not just a scan. A thorough scan. Oh, Doctor, you can't come back from this now. I'm sorry. You can't apologise and and say, oh, sorry, I'm not sure what happened. Like, at this point, if you were Perry, you would just leave, wouldn't you? (laughs) You'd say, wherever we end up, I don't care if some desolate rock, I'm off. Oh, a nice bit of QVC bling round her neck. Yeah, um, you tried to rape me. I mean, these are just terrible creative choices. They put him in this appalling costume. They've had him behave very arrogantly. And then they've had him attack a woman inside the TARDIS. And then, you know, when John Nathan Turner was like, this is the one everyone's got to remember me for, he wasn't joking but not for the right reasons. Now he's going to drag her off to be um, his hermit's companion. Colin, look, he's like, he thinks he's on a stage. I'm trying to get my voice out to the person in the back row. You're on TV, Colin. I shall become a hermit. (laughs) Oh, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus Christ, Perry, get out of there. The man's a lunatic. So we've had the least dramatic kidnapping in the history of television followed by the least dramatic um police reaction and now we've got the least dramatic uh, prison break like they're going for like the anti-drama approach and that's why the doctor and perry it's also over the top because they're trying to inject all the drama that's missing elsewhere makeup really is rather good it's nice to say something positive I, think I mean this is a little bit dodgy as well bursting into their bedroom like this like Did he even suspect that they were trying to get out? Like surely the Oh man. Oh, Fabian. Yes? She needed her own spin-off. The Fabian Adventures. Big finish. We're waiting. Elena, check it out, will you? What is that picture behind them? I tell you what, they're all very glam. These police officers, aren't they? Maybe they're all going out after work. There's just no pace or drama to this. I say, when think about K. S. Androsani, think about how every shot was, uh, you know, skillfully executed. It's like they've just left the camera running and they told the actors, right, you just get on with it, all right? We're going to go and have a drink.
1: Do you want no, not yet. I
0: to know- Lang, are you receiving me? Lang, are you receiving me? <laughs> okay, find out what's He's right, Commander. He's right, Commander. It wasn't built for drive. Have you noticed how there are... On- oh, hang on. This is the best line. If this was written as a comedy, a line like Val craggy knob" would be acceptable. I'm sorry. Why you Look, she's really nervous around him; like she's terrified of him. I know what you said, but you serious for I mean,
1: about being a hermit. so. I'm to remind you.
0: I think the only sensible reason for Perry to hang around is that Nicola Bryant still wants work. But realistically. Actually, realistically, you needed someone like Tegan in this, didn't you? Someone who basically was going to turn around and slap him around the face and say, I'm not putting out with your shit. Why should I be made to suffer? Because you have been chosen. It should
1: be your humble privilege <laughs> to, to minister
0: to, minister to, to my needs. Will be very wow, he's but a twat. I <laughs> to interfere with my period of contemplation. You said something so as far as Colin Bacon was concerned, he wanted to start his run in the worst way possible, like Mr Darcy, and then over time, you grow to love him. That was the idea. But they start in such a dark way. That how could he possibly come back from that? And he never did. So in the latter stages of this story, where he starts behaving in a doctory way, admittedly still trying to attack people every now and again, you can still remember the fact that, you know, he jumped on Perry and tried to, you know, grip her neck. I'm not sure about those sofas, they don't look very comfy. It's fascinating that tinfoil became uh, um, an aesthetic in the future. That console is literally covered in tinfoil. i
1: <laughs>
0: Apparently Morris Denham was quite a timid man in real life. Oh wow, here we go. Ah Mestor. <laughs> God bless the actor that's stuck inside the hat. So he's a pot-bellied caterpillar with boss eyes and uh, antennae. I'm sure there's a way of shooting that costume to make it look scary, but you'd probably, have to <laughs> you'd probably have to turn all the lights out to do it. Look, he's even wobbling his little hat. Oh, bless them. The money really has run out at this point. Once you have them, put the and let them
1: proceed with the first concept.
0: Whatever... Like, the half-mask approach has worked really well in the past. Think of the Draconians and the Ice Warriors. But here it just looks dreadful. He's <laughs> literally... He's pulling her into a bloody, the wreckage of a fly, a a flaming ship. Honestly. Tried to kill her, abusing her, dragging her about. And in a moment he, um, he berates her. This really is like an abusive relationship, isn't it? Thank God they toned it down.
1: Oh, here we go. A famous line.
0: A direct order from the minister. Forgive me, I'm going to say it. And me, my bones rot for obeying it. And that's the last we see of her. Oh, Fabian. Hugo Lang. Now, unbelievably, This man has gone on to have an incredible career. In fact, I recently saw him in Downton Abbey in a fantastic role. Small thanks to you. Poor, pusillanimous Perry. What a beautiful performance. Yeah, go on Perry. Slap him, slap him. What do you mean?
1: Never anyone
0: love himself, so <laughs> for anyone who loved himself, the cave. You forgotten all about him. By the time you stop congratulating yourself, they'll probably be dead. Harry! <laughs> you destroyed my tar command. Now I'm going to kill you. <gasps> oh my god! Hmm. Well, that probably does um, qualify in the top 10 worst first episodes. Um, Maybe in the top five, possibly the top three. But things do improve from here. So it's not just going to be me having a bitch and a whinge because things do get... Ah, Helen Blatch as Fabian. What ever happened to her? I may find out between episodes one and two and tell you. I'm sure she went on to have an incredible movie career on the back of the Twin Dilemma. You've got to wonder what people thought. I've never actually read what the um, audience feedback was after this, but um, after the highs of Androzani, you've got to wonder what people actually said about this. Because interestingly, when season 22 started, um, the ratings were really high. So obviously everyone popped back to see how this guy's going to turn out, and that's when they started to plummet. Anyway, we'll be back with episode two in a minute. Here we go with episode two. Um, just to let you know that I did look up Helen Blatch between episodes one and two, and apparently she did quite a stint with the Royal Shakespeare Company, where she received much kudos. Um, and also had the distinction of playing voice in inverted commas in The Deadly Assassin. Um, I think so she must be the voice at the beginning of the story when the credits are rolling. Um, yeah, good on you, Helen Blatch. <laughs> Who knew? Anyway, let's get going. I will start this in five, four, three, two. Oh, oh, sorry, it started. Is there anything more 80s than the Colin Baker title sequence? I find myself asking myself. Oh, I still didn't look up Anthony Stephen. I wonder what he did after this. He certainly didn't write the Target novel, that's for sure. Good grief, a brightly lit set. Man, Kevin McNally is good in this. Wouldn't he have made a great companion? And, like, honestly, with Perry and Hugo Lang... Probably wouldn't have called him Hugo if I'd have made him a companion. Sorry to all the you Hugos out there. But they, they really could have stood up to the Doctor. So there would have been less of the bullying throughout the era. Is that console anyone else's favourite? Because I really love it. I don't know why. It's just all the buttons and the uh, all the things to push. <laughs> Apparently Kevin McNally Thought that line Think what he must have suffered to act like that Was it to get his acting skills He says that in the commentary Oh you should listen to the commentary of this story It is fantastic Stop listening to me talking about it And go and listen to the actual actors That camera is far too high It's right down Perry's top Oh dear Look at his wristwatch. He's got like a little Fitbit on. Oh, that gun. Now look, I've seen some pretty robust and terrifying looking guns in Doctor Who. But I've also seen some flimsy bits of tat. And that definitely falls in the latter category. This is almost a bit like the Royal Shakespeare's Company with um, Noma and Asmel. And, you know, they're all puffing out their chests and... Speaking in the proper BBC English. If we go out now, we risk radiation sickness. Colin Baker says that apparently the guy who plays Noma walked around with a very amused air, as if he knew this was absolutely terrible. It's very really odd because the director, the musician, the actors It's all very functional. Is that the best speed you can manage? Is that the best speed we can manage? As it happens, As it happens. As it happens. Yes. yes. Oh sorry, I do have a habit of doing this. Do Look, to be fair, their little it's kind of so pin graphics hand. are a bit How better than the BBC micro graphics.
1: I would
0: have let you use electronic equipment. That tin foil console. That I, I would love one of those in my house. I'd love people to come in and say, "What the hell is that all about? It's twin dilemma chic. No. I you. Warn away you can't force us to work Oh dear. I mean I think that this, this kind of uh, teenage acting would even be rejected in a soap. <clears throat> Asmael being threatening is... Oh, bless him. He's such a nice old man. too soon to tell what we And besides which, when I do, the science will be so nonsensical. Uh, you will all laugh in my faces. No. What happens there? It's
1: new master. This new master is a creature of infinite ambition. He requires the gifts of your genius to further that
0: ambition. I cannot say more. But I can. Uh, Professor Edward is a Oh, now, there you go. Bathed in kind of blood-red light, he's a, l- a little... So- he still has boss eyes, but, you know, people have boss eyes, and you can't really hold that against them. You can hold it against the designer, I guess, who probably could have... I don't know, readjusted the eyes. But maybe he's trying to say that, you know, disabilities extend to alien monsters as well. Oh, sorry, alien monsters. Is that xenophobic? Now, shock occluded, wounds closed. No intel. See, he's already behaving far more like the Doctor here. He's kind of confident, intelligent. Did you
1: hide the back
0: to his Smart. Excellent this is almost this is practically the template of who he is in season 22 now so it's just that first episode where he's really awful it's very odd though because Perry really should you know you can't do it in an adventure serial but Perry should be absolutely terrified of him after how he's behaved and it's like no, no, no we need to get on with the adventure now so that's a nice I quite like that costume she's wearing you know I mean the colours are garish but it's the most covered up we've seen her so far
1: of <laughs> transition. Yeah.
0: Word spoken in the scenes of transition. Yeah, I may have wanted to be a hermit, but now I want to get on with the story. Good grief, Colin Baker hangs to the right. That was a really shocking shot of his... uh, Well, I'm not even going to say it. Actually, he seems quite comfortable in the costume as well. Maybe I was wrong about that. He... About is he a strong enough actor to overcome that costume? This is a huge leap now. To it, right? I'm gonna the guess the entire plot. Aliens, to <laughs> to Listen to this if Poirot time. came out with this, you'd be it's like, like the, <laughs> the guy has said like a one line about children and you've made this huge leap. Hmm. All I can see out there is a load of craggy knobs. It's quite a nice um model work, Titan Free. What's
1: that? A bump. A bump, a bump. A
0: bump a Colin Baker and his that famous repeatings. Um Oh god, his worst is in time lapse, isn't it, where he's like BAD! Bad, BAD! it Quite
1: a distance. Let's get going. Have you noticed radiation, Mother? What's a little radiation? But
0: we have a purpose, a mission in life. Do you think the idea was to uh make him incredibly proactive and confident after Peter Davison's gentler doctor? I, I can't think of a more shocking contrast between two doctors and kind of what they bring to their individual stories. Davison was really kind of pushed around a lot and... Jeez, could you imagine anybody pushing Colin Baker around? He'd, he'd, you know, give him a bunch of fives. Does anybody acknowledge that those question marks were a good idea now? That self-referential Doctor Who. Kevin McNally's kind of having a nice doze throughout this story. I think he has quite a few sleeps, actually. It's not a bad job for him. No. Passive power. (laughs) What do you call it when? um... Oh, fabulous! If there's one thing that Colin Baker can do, it's a, a brilliant quote. That's kind of nice shot. Look with the TARDIS in the background, the mist. That's like the most atmospheric shot we've seen so far. Although, interestingly, the surface of Titan III, um, in reality on location, is absolutely nothing like what we saw on the scanner. It's brighter. There are infinitely less craggy knobs. Yes, I will say craggy knobs a lot. In fact, it looks rather like a quarry. He's a knight errant, not an errant fool. When you can quote the Twin Dilemma ad nauseum, is that where you get your like um, fan stripes? Because I feel as if you know I, I deserve that. Because I've probably seen this story about easily fifty times. I think I watched it over and over when uh, Woolworths brought it out. Oh, Woolworths! I still miss your pick a mix counter. That awful creature. Here, it's
1: else as
0: well. like look, see, this is this is a, a different kind of bronzed tinfoil effect in this room. It does look a bit like a, a set for a porn movie, doesn't it? Morris Denham, I think, like, because Asmel's supposed to be really, really tired, you know, because it's such a tedious script, he's like, he can kind of sigh his way through the story. Good God, the lights are down. That looks fab. Oh, I love this bit in a second where the Doctor starts off confident and then becomes such a coward. It's actually very funny. Worse. Worse. Oh. Huh. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, perhaps you're right.
1: Well, the purpose of a constant, after all, is to gather information, not to
0: finish up face down in a pool of blood. Like, stationary like that, looking at, looking out to camera. Colin Baker and Nicola Bryan, they look amazing as a doctor and a, a companion. It's, just, it's a shame that the story sometimes just didn't match up to um, what they can actually bring to the show like you go and listen to the Big Finish stories, I know I say that quite a lot but they really do redeem both of these characters and they've made Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant two of the shining stars of the audio series (laughs) Aliens? No! Oh Perry, get out of there There's a big finished story actually that talks about Perry having um, a boyfriend who started off really nice and lovely and then became really abusive, and the uh, comparison is made between Peter Staveson turning into Colin Baker. Oh, the console's wobbling. Um, it's a really apt comparison. You know, <clears throat> she went on a, an adventure with a, a young sweet man who turns into this, you know, arrogant, nasty bully. Thank goodness they toned him down later on. Although, weirdly, the most toned down that Colin Baker ever is, is when he's with Mel, which is such a shame. Because, again, Big Finish show how, with a gentler approach, the Sith Doctor and Perry absolutely rock. It's a very Doctor Who thing to say, but this I corridor ducting <laughs> looks really good. And as Mel turning into a cardboard cut out with lights does not. Oh, this stuff's fab now. Now listen to this stuff where Colin Baker and uh Morris Denham. Some of this foil wrap technology looks familiar. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm <delapsed. laughs> See? That's funny. Who these? He's a terribly yeah. funny actor, Colin Baker. You, you ever see him in um the City the on the Edge of the I World? Am. In uh, Blake, Blake Seven. Survivors. He's hilarious. Who in their right minds <laughs> come to Titan three of their own free
1: will. Pilgrims in search of peace.
0: They're a spying. Silence wretch! Silence <laughs> wretch! Suddenly, the doctor's found his sense of humour.
1: Yes. Silence,
0: wretch. I'm going to have to try and use that line sometime in polite company. Oh, Morris Dunham, do not purve on Perry. For goodness sakes, everybody in the universe wants to purve on Perry, and it's not comfortable. And her criticisms that the Doctor stumbling across people he knows from his past that we've never met before is like a, a, a bit of a tired cliché. This works really well. Plus, I love the idea of Morris Denham and Tom Baker getting absolutely sozzled by a fountain. Utterly believable. The twin hearts one. I'm a time lord just as you are. Now he's Charles Perry, he's distracted. Nip off to the Charles mat and beam off, beam away somewhere. It doesn't matter where as long as you're away from him. You must concede you have to be the doctor. Hang heaven. For a minute, you almost have me. You worried
1: then. You don't seem overjoyed. There's nothing to rejoice about
0: the best of the twin dilemma and there is some good stuff here it's the four central performances i've said it over and over again colin baker morris denham uh nicola bryant kevin mcnally when those four are on screen despite how over the top the script can be they're really they they make it worth watching gosh he's handsome isn't he he filled out a little bit in later years, but then um, haven't we all? But he's an incredibly handsome man. He's like, hang on a minute. I'm still in my nurse's overalls, but the doctor and Perry are both wearing an outrageous costumes. I'm going to head to the wardrobe room and find a foil wrapped um, costume of my own. <clears throat> I mean, what are the odds anyway of him picking up the one costume with the power pack to his gun in it? I see. you abduct these children, deprive them of their memories, bring them to this. Um, Doctor, you are the last person who should be accusing anyone of anything right now. You tried to kill your companion. You chose that costume. You dragged her into flaming wreckage. Um, you've emotionally abused her. What an infallible combination. I seem to remember at like eight years old or however I was when I first watched this, that bomb, (laughs) when Perry discovers it, was literally like the height of drama. I couldn't imagine anything more dramatic than than that place blowing up. Because just think, you'd get tinfoil everywhere. Why does Noma set it to self-destruct? Like, they never really explain why he does that. Does he just think, oh, well, my, my character's an asshole? so, like, I don't like this guy. And he called me a wretch. Oh, actually, if you look at that clothes rack, there are worse costumes than what Hugo picks. Not much worse, but worse. <clears throat> I have yet to see an imaginative camera angle. And, you know, go and watch the two Doctors, go and watch the five Doctors, go and watch State of Decay. Peter Moffat can do it. So I'm wondering if he he just got allocated a particularly bland cameraman, or if this is kind of end-of-season tiredness in general. I really believe that relationship between the two of them, though, it's... They have a lovely chemistry. Asmael's costume is highly impractical. That that kind of uh, flowing dress. Poor fellow. He's not a bit like that, really. Don't care what he's like. He's left us here
1: forever. No, Harry. A few days,
0: It may take even me a few days. Ten million million combinations. That's
1: what I mean. It may take even me. (laughs)
0: he's <laughs> so arrogant oh god I love him like I I don't think it's any great secret that Colin Baker is one of my favorite doctors um, a large part of that is to do with big finish and he's incredibly like there's a wealth of stories that he's done with big finish which uh, really show the potential of his doctor but I loved him even when I saw his stories on TV um, I still question those decisions in episode one, but I think he's fighting against a lot of the um, bombast that they are forcing him to say. And he slips in. Fantastic moments. Like he came along at precisely the wrong time where the show was struggling, where the script editor and the producer aren't getting on, where there's kind of a dearth of decent scripts, but he still manages to put out some fantastic Doctor doctorly moments. Just imagine me, eight years old, like, grasping my face in shock horror as the camera zooms in on the bomb, or the lit up panel on the wall. Hugo really does look like he's off to a gay disco, doesn't he? Oh, I hope he's gay. He's so handsome. Sorry. I can do it, Perry! I can beam you five seconds back in time and into the TARDIS without any kind of reasonable explanation. Good grief! That's some cracking model work. It's like we've suddenly entered into Star Wars. That wouldn't look out of place on Star Wars. I am going to give you some ridiculous techno babble now that allows you to go to the TARDIS and think that I'm dead so we can have a cliffhanger, but then I'll appear and we'll just go, ho, ho, I'm very clever. the
1: will the TARDIS. Oh, no. Wait a minute. I be able to see Turn and I need
0: to be able to compensate for the time factor so I arrive back at the at the same time as you do. Your watch page, let me watch. What is he talking about? <sighs> oh God, look, like... we're two episodes in and I've got used to that coat already. It's no longer an offence to my eyes. And in a minute, Nicola Bryan absolutely sells the cliffhanger. But why would she be upset about a man who tried to kill her? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, thank God he's gone. The tar, this is mine. Looks a bit like a shower, doesn't it? The revitalising modulator. It's a baffling cliffhanger, this, but it looks good. I suppose if you're just going for the dramatic beats of it. It's like the doctor's still inside the base, it's blown up, Perry's upset. But really, kind of logically, emotionally, it doesn't make any sense. Man, Nicola Bryant, you are too good for this show at this point. Isn't she good? it's it, what's weird is in the lesser thought of stories, I think she gives the better performances um, so twin dilemma i think I think she gives a decent performance in timelash as well mysterious planet she's excellent and uh mindball's probably her best anyway, we are going to pop into episode three where I don't want to shock you guys, but the plot is going to emerge because we haven't seen much of that so far. We've just kind of been hanging around. Um, but no, no, there is a plot to this. The mathematics is going to come into play. Um, Jakonza that's been mentioned, we're going to visit there. Um, the Doctor is going to confront the evil boss-eyed slug and uh, Hugo Lang will have another little sleep. What a story. Okay, so here we go with The Twin Dilemma, episode three. I'm having a rip-roaring time so far, so I hope you are too. I hope this has encouraged at least one person to go back and watch The Twin Dilemma, and enjoy it along with me. Um, hello, whoever you are, and uh, I hope you're having fun. Please do ignore my cat scratching in the background. That's the word Podcast. Unfortunately, you have to put up with um, noises in the background, and I do not have sufficient, sophisticated editing technology to take him out, so uh, he will just be there causing a fuss. So in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. The fabulous Colin, all hail Saint Colin. Joking aside, I think he was an excellent casting choice as the Doctor. I uh, I think. It is the sort of role where you don't need to play it too naturalistically. And he is a natural born theatrical actor. He certainly brings a lot of presence to the screen, let's be honest. In Ark of Infinity, um, we're kind of looking at Maxwell, aren't we, rather than anybody else? What we need at this point is for the Doctor to show some incredible kindness towards Perry. I think he does in the last two episodes, thank goodness. Sound effects on Doctor Who are not given enough kudos. Like, would, would she genuinely be upset about his death? Like, you remember that bit in *Planet of Fire* where she's um, having a terrible dream about Howard in the in the bedroom of this artist? Like surely there'll be scenes, uh, you know, after this where she's having terrible nightmares about the Doctor's hands clasped around her neck. I
1: think so. Uh, doctor, uh, are you here? In heaven's name, what's going on? What flesh and Look,
0: Hugo's manhandling Perry now as well. Will everyone just stop manhandling Perry, please? Good grief. Perry, I want you to slap any man that tries to manhandle you. I don't advocate slapping men, but I think it's probably well deserved. Oh, no. He's not being nice to her. Who would have thought the doctor would ever get a line saying, "I've spent the day using, abusing and even trying to kill you." Would someone like to tell me what is going on? Corporal Lange, how Lieutenant, it's lieutenant fine, sure. they do they have a lovely chemistry, in these three. I'm, I'm sorry.
1: What went wrong? Uh, the control ceased after that. I don't remember anything till I came to in here.
0: Oh, Hugo Lang. Leave Perry and come and have a date with me. You know, if the Doctor took off the coat and that um, ridiculous cravat and just wore the waistcoat like he does in the two Doctors, I think he'd look okay. mind you, he'd still be in the yellow trousers. Do you remember when he goes into the bathhouse in Mark of the Rani wearing those bright yellow trousers and it's completely uncommented on? <laughs> Maybe that's a uh, uh, post-industrial revolution design that everybody wore. Will you, <inaudible> like, well, you shut up, you silly brats? Oh, the Doctor Who theme tune kicks in here, I remember that. It's like, do not no no, da da no da Dun, 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 dun. It's like a little box shape, it's like the TARDIS flying. Oh, bless them. I think as a child, you know, all the consoles at the back, like all the future stories have these consoles with like blinking lights. I used to be fascinated by them and were like, what do they do? Now I can see they're just boxes of blinking lights. But that's the cynicism of being an adult. Noma, yes. That's what the Lord Mestor would have wished. (laughs) You'd think nobody would get camper than Noma, and then the Chamberlain comes along. But consider what we know Hasbell, or
1: whatever he happens to call himself, needs the genius of the twins. He crosses.
0: To their See, in a new Who <laughs> episode, this would scene would be in like the first the first 10 minutes.
1: <laughs>
0: That's unhinged his mind. I do love his arrogance, like his arrogance is completely misplaced, but very funny. Why has Mistal got that massive frog sculpture? Are slugs obsessed with frogs? I don't know. Oh, look, and there is actual Christmas decorations. Um, Tinsel around one of those columns. How marvellous. Man, the foil budget for this story must have been Incredible. When I was asked to give a dramatic um, recitation uh, at school, I did this embolism scene for my drama teacher. My family are starving. Family are starving. No, not that. <laughs> Man, I got an A star. That was a lie, by the way. Oh, bless, look, they've, they've painted in, like, slug trail. That's it, Mestor's like, you know, secreting some kind of sluggy ooze. Oh, that death is amazing. It's not quite as good as the deaths in Resurrection of the Daleks, so I'm sorry. They reach kind of operatic levels of uh, over-the-toppiness. I wonder why we never saw um the return of uh Mest- Oh no Nestor dies at the end of this, doesn't he? The return of his race. Good god that's bleak. That is such a bleak quarry. They could film Blake Seven there. Oh they probably did. Is that Wops' Wood? No, it can't be a wood. It's so cute how they've, like, stuck tree branches in as if once upon a time it was a a forest glen. See, Perry's wearing a gorgeous shawl. Keep that on. Like, throughout your era. Is it my imagination? Or does the TARDIS look fantastic wherever it goes? Even this hideous quarry. Oh, uh, I think she's talking about the script. It's absolutely ghastly. Oh, no. it not be See, he's behaving in a fairly humane way now. He's uh, concerned. He's behaving like the Doctor. Hmm. Why does that slug track look completely different to the ones in Mestor's uh, studio? set
1: so,
0: you you? Look at the they, they've literally they've, they've planted in like three tree stumps but really it should be absolutely covered but like you got that's the most token effort that you can actually call effort Somewhere, somehow, their seed survived. Now step, well, yep talking about the script again Nonsense. But the bare bones of the story, which is um, a race of uh, slug creatures overtaking a planet um, ruled by a time lord. And, the, you know, the mad science of them trying to spread their sluggy eggs all over. the. It's a bit over the top, but it's it's. It has dramatic bones to it. Unfortunately, it just takes us ages to get there. Like, we're, we're kind of getting there now, but this is episode three. We're an hour in. To freighter to Joconda Control. Receiving your freighter. Approaching re entry. Permission to touch down at Omega Intersection. You are clear to approach. Omega Intersection? Adjacent to the Ark of Infinity next to Jelgard City. What is going on with the model work in this story? Was it stolen from Star Wars? Or, you know, Buck Rogers or Battlestar Galactica. Shouldn't we go there and be killed? Just give me
1: directions and I'll go alone if you're
0: afraid. I rather like the script in here as well. Because suddenly it's not just nasty; it's kind of spiky and funny and witty. Like the Doctor is incredibly alien in this incarnation, and I do like that. Young, strong, fit of limb. Your you mission, your energy is boundless. You're highly motivated to success. You even have a gun. <laughs> i a turmoil
1: I'm falling to pieces Okay
0: so the story is hanging a lantern on all the things it's done wrong The Doctor's costume, killing Perry Hugo Lang's acting Maybe they should have just jettisoned the entire plot and just had the whole story set in the TARDIS with these three and just done, like, a drama. And then had the Doctor, like, literally come out of the story as a fully-rounded character. No, then we've been denied Mestor. And the Chamberlain. Mercy, Highness, spare my grey hairs. Hmm. This is fun. This is kind of fun. These are good lines. <laughs> well, like, right. it's an occasionally very witty script. Maybe we need to, like, um, Douglas Adams in to take care of, like, the plot. And uh, it's, it's that kind of wit, you know, it's that kind of wit that's, um, that exists in season 17 of, like, kind of quite, like, uh, sparky interplay. Is the Doctor calling the TARDIS hideous? Oh, he does try and change it in Attack of the Cybermen, doesn't he? It is interesting because in every story in the Sixth Doctor era, there is um, a male character introduced. <laughs> so that could just could have been Hugo Lang. You've got um, Terry Menois' character in Sack of the Cybermen, John Dar in Vengeance of Varos, Luke in Mark of the Rani, Oscar, or Jamie in The Two Doctors... Uh, Hugo, no not Hugo um, H.G. Wells in Timelash and oh, I suppose you could say the DJ in Revelation of the Daleks Glitz and Dibba in The Mysterious Planet and then Yukanos in Mind Warp that could have just been Hugo all the way through and I could have spent the entire era lusting after him but there we go Oh, Seymour Green's marvellous. Again, another actor. They're giving this far too much dignity. i too One day you will discover for yourselves that prison
1: is universal. i let it to concern
0: you
1: now. And don't be afraid
0: of what lies in I'm really enjoying this now. Oh, the Doctor has another Paddy in a minute, doesn't he? But it's, it's another cracking one. And Perry has one of her best ever lines about him having a manic, depressive, paranoid personality. Forgive me if I quote that one. To be fair, it is better than the pictures on the wall in the colony in space, which looked like they were drawn by a two-year-old. This kind of almost does look like cave pictures. The lights are down as well, again. They know how to turn the lights down. Why don't they do it more often? Perhaps we should never have seen the Jocondas in. uh, Not Jocondans. What are Mistos' race called? I've forgotten. The giant slugs. Perhaps we should never have seen them moving because, God bless them, Look, it looks like a pair of arthritic old men wobbling across the set. This is the new terrifying Doctor Who monster. a gastric tracks! <laughs> You would see that slimy mess on the floor and not step in it, surely. It's famous. All the lights are out, but their costumes are still easy to pick out because they're so bright. So these are your prodigies. Hmm. They seem quite insignificant. Or well, their brains are not. but we shall see. Have you told them what
1: them? Not in detail. So far, they simply worked toward it.
0: I suggest that you do tell them. That I Michael Grade possibly watched parts of this story and and was like, mm, we even need like a new creative team, a bigger budget, or let's just take this off because I'm not sure we're making the most compelling drama we possibly could." They may be trees, ni thoughts There can be no the idea of giant slugs is creepy because yeah okay I'm, confession time. Uh, I live in a very old house, uh, which is raised, and uh, slugs when it rains, we sometimes get the odd slug coming in, and they are icky, absolutely icky. But it needs to be done with, like, CGI. Or just an incredibly convincing costume. This is not... Look, he's pot-bellied. He's, he's been chowing down on too much lettuce. He has a carapace at the back. He's clearly wearing a skirt. And he has boss eyes. And Andorian little feelers on the top. It's... It's not great. But I'm not
1: a I believe they think you are my friend. I would value your friendship. It might cost you your life. I can think of
0: worse reasons for dying. That's a lovely exchange as well. Now, pay attention. Oh, here we go. Here's the wacky science. And again, Douglas Adams would tell a story as mad as this. I mean, he, he kind of grounded things in real science, but... Uh allowed his imagination to flex as well.
1: What are we supposed to do? Help me to the only possible solution. tell us what it is.
0: We need like surely wouldn't a more dramatic approach to this story be I don't know, in like the first episode you could actually show the the, the slug race taking over Jaconda. Um, and then it could lead to the wacky silence in the last episode. That's, that's a more dramatic approach than, than the whole kind of twin and angle. Because even if there had been two incredible, like, young girl actresses playing those twins. Well, the story would still play out as it is. So you just have two phenomenal performances to add to the others in this fairly... Uh, traditional story if I can get away from this fool, will you hurry up it wasn't my fault I've got to do it forgive me I'm, I'm not letting a, a, a paranoid personality like you shut me up You're having another of your fits. This is really fun. I mean, he's being a complete twat, but it's really fun. A Nicola Bryant <laughs> <doing? Nicola laughs> is convinced she's in a proper drama. She doesn't falter for a moment. Like, she's utterly believable. Colin Baker, I think he thinks he's on the stage. Morris Denham thinks, um, good grief, what a load of tat. I'm going to bring some dignity to this story. And Kevin McNally, well, he's just hot, so. Oh, no, he attacks someone again, doesn't he? This is, this, this moment should have been excised. He can't really attack people convincingly. And maybe Colin Baker is uh, showing the struggle the doctor's having with his violent tendencies. Or maybe it's just really badly uh, directed. <laughs> I love the way the doctor like, behaves appallingly and then just goes, oh yeah, sorry. A momentary lapse. Sorry for being such an asshole, but I'm okay now. Maybe I'll use that. Perry, there's some lovely little shadowy crevices there where you can hang out with Hugo Lang and do some very fun things. Instead, you go looking for that man who tried to kill you. Ah, oh, door. interestingly the actor playing him said i'm not getting inside that costume and i think he made a smart move oh no this is where mestor like starts lusting after perry i mean can you imagine this marriage between slug and human imagine the children oh god
1: At once. At once. at once! at once that is the ban. Now what's your
0: opinion? You really intend to put it into operation. You know what I happen Look know. at his spats. Oh god. But risks must be taken. <laughs> <laughs> Massive kudos to that costume designer. She really went for it. <clears throat> Now, this just shows that Colin Baker's got the chops to be the doctor. Stare dramatically into the camera and exclaim your companion's name. Yes. Perry! Did you ever listen to the um, the audio story Slip Back? Because it, <clears throat> every 10 minutes there was a cliffhanger with the Doctor just going, Penny! And obviously, in t- Trial of a Time Lord, he has some marvellous, uh, dramatic close ups. Ah, Colin Baker. I don't know why, because I do recognise that, there, aside from some scripting issues, there are some odd acting choices as well. I just find him so engaging to watch. Um, I I think he does um, add lots of moments of charm and humour and depth. Sometimes it's completely missing in the script. Um, But, you know, he is loud and bombastic and theatrical. I just really like that approach. Um, And I make no apologies for that at all. Okay, the riveting climax to the Twin Dilemma. Let's go in five, four, three, two, one. Barry Letts is a genius. He added that sting, didn't he, initially. Barry Letts is a genius. I won't hear it anyone say otherwise. I don't care if he co-scripted the time monster. <laughs> Part four. This is where Cazor ramped up the tension to 11. Let's see if the twin dilemma can do the same. No, I must go to her. See, look, we're already at Nine. Pleasing. You, that's grim. The on fire He's typically understated. The very core of his being on fire with guilt and rage. Don't tell him that you're going to turn against uh, Mestor. Noma has already proven himself to be uh, a turncoat. Why does Mestor have, like, moss all over him as well? It's a, it's a suggestion that he is stagnating somehow. Exactly what uh, Peter Davidson wouldn't have done this approach at all, would he? He would have been far more subtle. Whereas Colin Baker just walks in, clutching his lapels, thinking that he is. He should have just walked in and been like he was with the Borad, you know, like a terrible old racist, and said, Oh, Oh, no, he does later, doesn't he? I'm not having your sluggy eggs (laughs) burst all over the universe. But it does feel like we are in a genuine Doctor Who story now. We are on an alien planet. Sorry. Oh, that's marvellous. We're on an alien planet. There's a villain. The Doctor's behaving doctorly. There's some crap science involved. Uh, The Companion's being menaced. like... Episode one, you know, wanted to be a TARDIS-bound drama, you know, like with psychological intensity, whereas this now is just a camp old bit of tat, but with a little bit of pace and it's quite fun. Yes, I am saying that the twin dilemma pulls itself together in its, its last few episodes. You took a heavy blow. I'm not saying a word. I kind of wish the Doctor was dressed how... Hugo's dressed. Just a black T-shirt and some...
1: Uh, braces. There's
0: a lot of characters in this thing. Look, you've got Noma... Uh, Drac, The Doctor, Perry, Hugo, The Twins, and Edgeworth. The blocking is actually quite good. Oh, it's the first time I've said the direction is good. There's, lo- there's lots of um, shots of different people together. Yes, that's the best I can say about the direction. There's lots of shots of people together. very true, he is egocentric, willful and mad. Maybe Mestor should be the doctor's counsellor. Oh bless. They just—they shouldn't have had him like flapping his arms like that. I think that that contributes to how silly he looks.
1: Stabilize Jacomanda. Planet. Three planets in the same orbit will exert enormous gravitational pressure on each other. By placing them in different time zones, you see, each planet will occupy the same space, but will be one to day ahead of the other. Thanks to me. <laughs> Doctor. Doctor is
0: considering just how terrible the script is. is
1: wrong.
0: the It's nice to have a story where someone points out that the science is absolute bollocks. That's great. That's basically like uh, what the script editor should be saying, you know, in pretty much every single story to overlook the fact that the science is just appalling. Mind you, I'm not even sure if now what they're saying is true. So my science is, uh, I I got a double D for science, so maybe don't listen to me. They were my lowest grades. Oh gosh, there's almost a ceiling on that set. Jack would be very happy with that. We, we do admire the ceilings in season 17. Yeah. How does Mestor open the TARDIS door with his green ray? That's like magic, surely? That's, that's, that's not science. His magic time machine opening embolism ray. Yeah, give them to him. Bring this madness to an end. The doctor is sitting on a table with his legs wide open. He could not look more alpha male if he tried. Look, he's really sweet with the twins in a minute. Oh, he's really sweet with Perry as well at the end of this story.
1: Interesting. Gastropod
0: eggs. <laughs> Those gastropod eggs they look like...
1: The mm. the oh, they don't look like eggs.
0: Well,
1: look, but
0: quick. Excellent. Oh, good grief. Excellent. I suppose it's a bit better than the peripheral vision from Mark of the, that's the that's Rani. This is another set. So there are lots of sets in this story. Like, oh no! Although they are clearly milk crates on the wall.
1: Does it matter? Of course, these eggs are dry and
0: rubbery. Nobody likes a dry and rubbery egg. Interesting. in the commentary. Kevin McNally says that, you know, he did this story and he was rather proud of being a Doctor Who story and they had incredible fun making it and he was really surprised to learn <laughs> that it wasn't well considered later. Um, there are people out there, though, that are quite keen on The Twin Dilemma. I I, I, would, I gave it a five when I reviewed it for my blog and I would probably still give it a five now because it is never boring it's often shocking but it's never boring um you know in the stories i would give less than 5 you know underworld the dominators oh good grief uh anymore yeah galaxy 4 um you know they're really dull whereas the twin dilemma it's always entertaining uh It's, like I said, it has performances of worth. The plot kind of comes together towards the end and uh, is fairly entertaining. It has probably the worst monster in it of, in all of Doctor Who, but, you know...
1: No, the
0: must officer. Well, you Apologies, my cat is purring behind Mestor. me. Oh, great. We're going to have the great climax where the Doctor confronts Mestor. I'm not having your sluggy eggs all over the universe. Neither will I let you destroy what was once a very beautiful planet. <laughs> He's madly entertaining. I'm sorry for you Colin Baker haters out there. He just goes for it, you know? He's he's, he's not an actor who's afraid to uh, take a few risks. They don't always come off, but uh, I do admire him very much. I saw him on stage um, several times, actually, in very different roles. There was one uh, called Corpse where he ended up um, with a, uh, a knife right through his chest, pinned to um, a, a drinks cabinet that twirled. And every now and again, the cabinet would twirl and he'd still be pinned to the cabinet. It was very funny. But you could see, like, uh, in his Doctor Who, oh, he's just made for the stage, you know? He commands an audience, and yet, weirdly, with his big finished stuff, he can be very subtle, very gentle. Um, certainly, in those early stories with Evelyn Smythe, where he he, he absolutely adores, um, there's some lovely character drama.
1: Yes, master. Fire a twins are them to me.
0: Yes, master. They must not be armed. And the others, kill them. Kill them a true doctor who villain or well, you've got the limpest gun noise in a minute as well it's like <laughs> Well,
1: apparently not <laughs> okay well, well let's try along
0: here the twins haven't actually done anything oh, now for about two episodes oh no they pulled the do- oh wait and it's got to stop and yes, he is arrogant. <laughs> See, just imagine him on, on a stage doing this. This could be like this could be Doctor Who the stage play rather than um, the Ultimate Adventure.
1: <laughs>
0: He's brilliant. <laughs> Watch it, Mister. Oh, the amount of people I've wanted to say that to. Will you give up this nonsense? So the Doctor was going to walk in there and murder the villain. Well, interesting approach. With acid as well. So he's attacked his lovely assistant. He's attacked the kindly old man. And now he's going to throw acid at the uh the boss-eyed monster It's a new approach, I'll give you that. Oh, Hugo, the best Oscar for pretending to be dead goes to Hugo Lang. He's fantastic. Why didn't he hang around? He would have been great in Attack of the cybermen. He could have done some of the moments that, the more questionable moments that the doctor did in season 22 as well. He could have uh, taken care of shock he could have shot the cyber controller and the doctor could have been off doing something a lot cleverer you did destroy his entire squadron Earthlings have an unquenchable
1: thirst when it comes to the death. <laughs>
0: the doctor has been, Ill. It's his <laughs> the <doctor's laughs> has been ill it's affected his reasoning it's a script that is highly critical of the doctor
1: I will beg to die
0: <laughs> I don't think even Tom Baker would have gone for it this much I wouldn't rate you very highly at all Oh, Mestor's now criticising himself. Hmm. Eric Sable does have a habit of doing this, doesn't he? Making hugely questionable creative choices, like all the murder in Resurrection of the Daleks, but then hanging a lantern on it and saying, there should have been another way. It happens in Warriors of the Deep as well. And it happens here, where the Doctor behaves appallingly, and everyone criticises him for it. Like, maybe you wouldn't need to criticise these things if you just didn't do them in the first place. Oh, no, Asmael. Come on. Asmael is now my slave. Well, that's not fair. He's an old man. You think I could not do this to you? Well, why don't
1: you try? Simplicity
0: itself. Oh, I need you have what uh, what Colin Baker's wife considers to be his best acting performance ever in Doctor Who in a minute which is uh, when Asmael dies in his arms and it's beautiful so there you go there's the proof of what I was saying earlier about how he can uh, tone down his performance and play drama like real drama I don't know how I feel about the Doctor committing murder like this though Using acid, it's like, it's so horrible. And look, Mestor, poor Mestor, he's like, he was, he was tired of the disadvantages of his own being, as were we, because he did look really daft, and now his entire face is melting away in acid that the Doctor has thrown at him. It's an odd way to end the season. Because what it's saying is that this new doctor's approach is to murder rather than to um, find a smart way to solve the story. It's very mid-80s. Very video nasties. And that's horrible. Mestor's a horrible, smoking, oozing mess. Well done, Doctor. Nobody gets punched in the stomach. Like, this is a big pantomime of a story, so I don't really know why they went for such a graphic ending. It's a bit like um, Dragonfire in that respect. See, it's astonishing that we've gone from Colin Baker screaming in the wardrobe room to this. Like he does show range. Take my tinfoil ring—the last bit of tinfoil left in the story. Oh, it's so sweet. This is great. If you could just take this one scene out of the story, you'd be like The Twin Dilemma. Look at this, and it's astonishingly poignant drama. Proof conclusive that Colin Baker can deliver dialogue quietly and affectingly. No, I don't care that it. Hugo Lang's got uh, blood dripping down his arm. He's still no. edible. Yeah, the twins are are very surplus to requirement, aren't they? After like episode two. They're just sort of there. Oh god, they're in the TARDIS at the end of the story, aren't they? Imagine season twenty two without Hugo Lang, but with the twins. Oh. Oh god, imagine the twins and HG Wells in Timelash. Imagine you know, I would have been awesome. Imagine if they'd been turned into food in *Revelation of the Daleks* as part of Davros's evil scheme. I wouldn't put it past uh, John Nathan Turner to murder a pair of children and uh, just for shock value. Don't ever do that again. The Doctor's still attacking Perry, but now he's apologetic, and it's entirely by mistake. Ha-da! Oh, this is great. What he says to the Chamberlain. I don't like you. You better start walking. Yes, that's right, I don't like you. But, sir, I must get away from here. And I suggest you start walking. Right. Let's
1: get you and the twins back to Earth. What about the rest of the people on this planet? First of all, who'll leak them? I'll certainly not that thing. Neither will Asmill. He's dead. His best news popped the Doctor has
0: no social niceties whatsoever, so when Hugo alone... Oh! Pew. Pew! There's an entire revolution occurring.
1: Pew! Pew!
0: <laughs> yes, undramatic to the last, the twin dilemma. Yeah, the Doctor's really rude to Hugo. And, uh, Isn't it marvellous? Yes, let them stay. don't take them with you. <laughs> do you think that's another big spin spinoff in the main king Hugo on Jaconda Did you have to be so rude? <laughs> oh the twins and the TARDIS the horror the horror I have fully stabilised except when I shoot the cyber controller do acid vines onto the man in Vengeance varos cyanide shock eye to death that's just who he is now he's a very violent man He says neurotic there, but I don't know why. for ages I thought he said I was on the verge of becoming erotic. you may well find it isn't quite
1: as disagreeable as you.
0: it's an interesting note to leave the season on as in whether you like it or not and he's being sweet with her and he's making her smile and that's lovely but realistically she should say yeah I'm just I'm gonna get off with the kids and uh, you know I'll go and uh, do something away from you because you are a horrible man who tried to kill me. Um, but we are in Doctor Who where drama does not occur uh, naturalistically, so um, we'll open the next story with the kids gone, of course, there are no consequences. No consequences to the fact that he tried to kill her. They're still, you know, squabbling with each other and having a generally abusive relationship uh, with the odd moment of humour thrown in for good measure. Anyway, that was The Story and Dilemma. It's quite fun, isn't it? Um, It's not not the worst Doctor Who story ever. It's certainly not boring. Um, It is loaded with unusual creative choices. But overall, I say it is a very interesting, very compelling pantomime where the Doctor is initially characterised appallingly. But I'd say give it another go. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you came on this little journey with me. Next time, I'll be back with Jack. Um, We are going to be talking about the Rings of Akaten and Praxeus. Um, And I'm sure it will be a lot easier to uh, have a conversation with somebody. However, I may do another one of these in the future because it was rather fun. Anyway, until next time guys, take care.